Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go. David, I think today might be our quickest episode as we record this during halftime of the Bucks game, uh, tied up at half. Overall, pretty good half. Hawks playing really well, but Bucks able to close the lead. I think 10-0, 12-0 run at the end of the first half. So we'll see how things end up. But if we're in and out of here quickly, that explains it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Bucks have been playing pretty well. I mean, they blew them out by, what, 40? Um, and they really, none of their shots were falling. Almost everything went bad game one, and they still barely lost. Kind of like we saw with the with Brooklyn in Game 1 and with Miami in Game 1. Differing results a little bit because of the uh, variance in the talent level of the teams. But Bucks in a, a pretty good spot, I'd say. I, I do think that they are going to pull off the series win. Uh, we will see because I think probably by next week's episode, they might be uh, Eastern Conference champions. First NBA Finals appearance would be since 1974. If not, I think I'll be, uh, what is that, next Sunday, Game 7? I can't even remember the exact date, but I'll, I'll be there if there is a Game 7. I've got tickets. I'm kind of hoping that it doesn't happen, but uh, also wouldn't mind if it did because it'd be pretty fun. But nonetheless, like you said, it'll be uh, an interesting week, and I still think the Bucks are in a good place to take the series. I know you, you had said on the podcast, Bucks in four, but uh, so is it Bucks in five now for you? Uh, I think most likely is Bucks in six, and it, it'd be kind of fun just for the uh, the rally cry of Bucks in six that we've had for, for years now, but... Uh, but I, I do think that they probably will win in five or six. Um, I guess I, I would say six is my prediction now. Um, so I'll take the bold move and go Bucks in five then. Okay. Like, let's make some quick work of the Hawks and, and get to probably Phoenix, looks like, in the NBA Finals, which will be an interesting Finals. But anyways, this is a Brewers podcast, so hopping on to the Brewers. Good week for the Brewers, continuing to uh, play well against subpar uh, competition, but again, racking up the winning record. Uh, having a good week against the D-backs and Rockies, taking two out of three from Arizona, and then a series sweep against Colorado. Uh, also came out this week were the All-Star Game finalists. We talked about this before uh, the setup. So top three from each position are finalists, and then they'll vote on those. Uh, Brewers not having any position players represented. Not completely shocking. Um, Omar Narvaez perhaps uh, should have been elected at least as a finalist. Anybody else um, besides Narvaez that you thought should have been at least a finalist? Yelich was pretty close to making it as a finalist, but he's only played like 40, 45 games this year. Um, and he hasn't been like really good. He's He's been fine, but he hasn't been great. So I wouldn't say he's deserving. He just has the name and was a, was an MVP a couple of years ago. Still one of the best players in baseball. Uh, so he was up there. Narvaez, I know, was up there in the voting, but wasn't able to, to uh, finish in the top three. Uh, but if you are going to vote for the finalists, be sure to vote for Buster Posey. He's going up against Wilson Contreras and Yadier Molina at the catcher position. Uh, in addition to just we hate Wilson Contreras and Yadier Molina, vote Posey also because he's having the best year. So he's going to be an all-star either way. Contreras, Molina, not sure if they will. There's a better chance Narvaez makes it, I think, if Posey is the starter. And it'd be fun to see Posey. I mean, he's, um, I guess he's only 32, 33. He was like 42. Yeah. Uh, but he's a veteran who's been around a while and is having a resurgence, which I like to see. Kind of a nice story. Uh, maybe a, a comeback player of the year uh, in his in his future for, for the 2021 season. Uh, but, but those are the three NL catchers that 
uh, our finalists over Narvaez. Some other notable names in there, kind of your typical. I think Vlad Jr. was the leading vote getter among all players across the league. Um, he is having an outstanding year. I think he has 25, 26 home runs, something like that. Uh, and Otani, also one of the leading vote getters at the DH position. I know that there's a possibility Otani will hit and pitch an inning in the All Star game. That would be fun. I really hope that happens. And he's going to be in the home run derby, Coors Field. Um, and I can't wait for that. He's got maybe the best raw power uh, that I've seen. I mean, he's hit balls 500 feet. He hit a ball through the roof of the Tokyo Dome a couple of years ago. Um, so either way, even if, even if he doesn't pitch and hit in the All-Star game, it will be fun to see him in the home run derby. I think he's he's a guy that's built for the home run derby too. Kind of I know Prince Fielder back in the day was sort of built for the home run derby. That raw power um, can definitely play in in the home run derby as opposed to like a, I don't know like a Ryan Braun. He's not exactly a Ricky Weeks. A Ricky Weeks. <laughs> don't even go down there. Ricky Weeks in the home run derby. That's right. That what was that? that those like one or two years where they did the captain. Captain. Yeah. So they, Fielder they tried a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. I mean, I I kind of like. I think their format now is really good, especially with the, the timed. I think is much better. Um, and it is it is kind of nice not to have a you know the old Brandon in shutout where he, he goes uh, ten outs no home runs, uh, so it is better and we do have better power hitters now I guess that is the one positive maybe bring back the juice ball for for the home run derby I would be what, in favor wait, wait, of that what juice ball we never yeah juice I mean ball. yeah that's yeah. right that's right um, but our trivia question today has to do a little bit with the All Star game coming up in about two weeks uh, is the All Star game Brewers probably won't have this number although. I guess it is a possibility that they'll match it. What is the highest number of All-Stars the Brewers have had in a season? Um, and so that is going to be the question today. Um, they have done it on two occasions, if that helps. And they have had rosters ranging between like 32 and um, because of injury replacements, like 40 uh, over the last, say, like 15, 20 years. Prior to that, it was only 25-man rosters. So I don't know if that helps a lot. Also, there were few. Also, there were fewer teams back in the 70s and 80s, so uh, just a couple couple context clues to maybe help figure that one out um, about uh, what the most All-Stars the Brewers have had in a year, um, and they have done that on two separate occasions. Uh, today's random player of the day is a former Brewer who is a finalist for the All-Star voting. Yeah, I still haven't figured out why Maldonado is, uh, is a finalist. He's Hitting 171, 256 on base, 285 slugging. I'm sure he's providing his usual good defense, but he's even playing in Houston, uh, who nobody likes really outside of Houston. Um, the catching position isn't particularly strong right now uh, here in 2021, but he still isn't really having a, a good year, so I'm not sure why he is an all-star. Maybe he'll be the uh, the lowest batting average all-star ever, uh, sub-200. Um, but we are going to highlight Maldonado as our random player of the day. Uh, back in his Brewers tenure, across six parts of six seasons, hit 217, 299 on base, 342 slugging, um, and he was always a defense first guy. Uh, he was uh, overall, I would say, a pretty productive player just because the glove was so good. I remember at the time thinking, if, if you ever got a chance at a full time, uh, full time catching role, he would potentially win a Gold Glove. He did just that in 2017. Uh, with the Angels, full-time catcher, ended up winning a gold glove, his one and only gold glove. Um, could be another honor for him making an all-star appearance. That would be uh, that would be pretty impressive for Maldonado, somebody whose career has really outlasted Lucroy's, uh, even though they are the same age. Lucroy was a considerably better catcher in his prime, 
And now Maldonado has kind of leapfrogged over him, starting catcher in Houston for a, a team that's uh, in playoff contention right now and near the top of that AL West division. Martin Maldonado, today's random player of the day. Yeah, certainly unexpected that, you know, he could really create a career uh, that he did. And it's been certainly much higher than any expectations. I, I thought he would be a fringe starter. Like you said, defense first, catcher certainly. Uh, but overall, happy to see him succeed uh, after leaving Milwaukee. So like I said, Brewers with a strong week, two out of three against Arizona, and then a series sweep in Colorado. We did see a Keston here, a home run, if you do remember back in the days when Keston used to hit uh, in, in that final series finale against Colorado. Any takeaways that you had, David, on another strong week from the Brewers? Pitching was good. Uh, Lauer had a really nice start on Sunday. Here, not only hit the home run, I think he had a double also. Had a loud out. I think it was a diving catch off of a ball he hit in the gap or hit hit hard. His at-bats have been really good in the, the last couple games that he's been back at the major league level. Uh, pretty big news of the week. Vogelbach out for a while. Pretty severe hamstring strain. Uh, probably will keep him out for, I think, at least about 8 to 10 weeks. Uh, so we're looking at maybe an August return for Vogelbach. Uh, not exactly what you want to see. He's been better as of late. He had, I think, about an 850 OPS in June. So he was he was really producing out of that two-hole. And uh, having that gap in the lineup, I think Hira stepping up is more important now than ever at the first base position. Not really getting much offense out of that position earlier in the year, especially when Hira was there. Even earlier with Vogelbach. Now they've started to finally um, kind of solve that position with Vogelbach hitting well. Here, hopefully he's able to step up. I think that's going to be a, a big uh, factor in the Brewers if they are able to stay in first place as we get into July, face some tougher, tougher competition. And also looking at um, trade deadline moves, if Hira hits well, I don't think the Brewers go after a first baseman. Uh, maybe allocate their resources towards some bullpen help. Maybe another bat at, at third base or or in a corner outfield position even, maybe. Um, and uh, that's something we're going to talk about later. But I think that that's really important to see if Hira is going to be able to step up. And he certainly did that on Sunday. It was great to see. Yeah, Brewers bullpen also had a very solid week. Uh, Richards made several appearances over the week. Um, pretty successful over the series. Uh, Hunter Strickland, Cousins, a lot of new faces in the bullpen. I was just talking to somebody earlier, and he said, you know, I, I watch the Brewers, and I don't even know half the players. They're just bringing in these random pitchers that I don't even know who they are, which, as I look through the box score, I can certainly see. I mean, Strickland, Cousins, Milner, Richards uh, coming in relief out of that first game. I'm not sure if, no, none of those were on the, the roster to start the season. So the bullpen's kind of been a... a, a you know, very fluid as far as who's in there. Um, anything that you'd add as far as the Brewers bullpen and how they perform this week? Uh, Jake Cousins really stood out to me. He looked excellent. He lo reminds me a lot of Justin Topa, who, by the way, they said around the All-Star break, he could be coming back. Uh, we're now nearing the All-Star break. He's kind of on track. I know that Stern said, um, could we get Topa back? Hopefully, maybe late July, I think, would be reasonable. And that would be a, a boost to the bullpen. We've seen the Brewers shuffle through a lot of arms. They called up Jake Cousins, who, like I said, I, I was really impressed by him. Upper 90s sinker, good slider. Um, and I was really I was really happy. And I think he's going to be a big arm for the Brewers going forward. Uh, he looked really good. Miguel Sanchez, they also called up. Made his Major League debut over the past week. Um, and uh, Sanchez, I, I didn't get to see him, so I don't know how he looked through a scoreless inning, I believe. 
Um, and another arm that they called up, not his Major League debut, but his Brewers debut, Ryan Weber, uh, closed out the game on Sunday. He was a waiver claim from the Red Sox. I actually found out from uh, Bob Euchre on the radio that Weber's dad is from Hales Corners. So I did not know that his grandparents still live here, I guess. So when Euchre asked if he was going to be uh, getting acclimated to the city for the first time, he said, oh, no, I'm pretty familiar with it, um, which I, I had no clue, of course. Uh, but kind of just an interesting tidbit there. Yeah, when you take a look at the Brewers' bullpen, of course, you've got Devin Williams, Brent Suter, Brad Boxberger, and Josh Hader. But besides those top arms in the bullpen, their current rest of the bullpen, Trevor Richards, Hunter Strickland, Jake Cousins, Miguel Sanchez, and Ryan Weber. So just those four relievers, the only ones uh, that were you know on the active roster to start the year uh, besides those on the injured list. Yeah, and Richards has done a nice job of stepping up. Strickland's basically done what you could have asked him to do. Uh, and I think a couple other arms that could be joining the Brewers before the year is done, Aaron Ashby. He's been pretty good in AAA. He's in a bullpen role now. Um, and they're they're preparing him to, to be in a bullpen role at the major league level. So having his arm, he's been excellent all the way through the minor leagues. Uh, so have, adding him to the bullpen, maybe we see him around the trade deadline. They call him up. Even Ethan Small was called up to AAA already as a starting pitcher. They could try to develop him more as a starter. I, I would see Ashby being more effective out of the bullpen than Small. Um, but it, maybe if Anderson continues to put up poor results, maybe you do call up Small and see if he's able to fill in a, a starting role. Uh, I'm not sure if the Brewers would bring him up already at the end of this year, but it's possible, and he's certainly proving himself as at least Major League depth or maybe as, as a trade chip. Well, and the reality is, too, that at some point there's going to be an injury in the rotation. Also, the Brewers have Brett Anderson in their rotation, so you really know there's going to be an injury. <laughs> well, he is, he is injured right now, right. and they're they're going with Lauer at the five, who's uh, really been he's been fine, I, I think, um, as a five starter. Uh, but if the Brewers are going to go to a six man rotation as well, um, if, if they have one injury and in, their big three have been really good at staying healthy so far this year, but it's possible that they uh, will get hurt. Of course, there's a, there's a pretty good chance that one of them will get hurt at some point during the year. Big topic so far in Major League Baseball, especially over the past week, has been the enforcement of the foreign substances. We won't spend a ton of time going into it um, and, and what, it, what it all entails, but we will give a brief overview, uh, maybe touch on it. So uh, for reference, in the past, over the past 130, 140 years, uh, a manager could check a pitcher, have an umpire check the pitcher. Um, if he was using a foreign substance, it was, I think it was officially banned in 1920. Um, when they banned the spitball, um, where pitchers would, would put substances on it to make the ball move in unnatural ways. Of course, it's evolved now to different substances, pine tar and spider tack, pelican wax, another one. Uh, and so now, when pitchers leave the field, a lot of the time, umpires will just check them. We saw the first ejection, actually, today, uh, or on Sunday. Hector Santiago was ejected. He said that he did not use any substance. And I know it is possible that you use rosin with your sweat, and it really feels like a sticky substance. That's what I've heard. I have never used that before. Um, and that's not illegal. The rosin bag is right there. Uh, but it can kind of, when you combine the two, become like a sticky substance. And it's possible that that's what they felt on the glove. Uh, we will see what happens. He, uh, if found guilty, will be subject to a 10-game suspension with pay. Charles Barkley had a, a little a little spiel about how MLB was really sticking it to the cheaters, I think he said, with the 10-game suspension with pay. But the big thing is that 
rosters will stay at 26 and that suspended player will occupy a roster spot that whole time cannot be optioned out one thing i was thinking of um and of course i wouldn't i wouldn't uh recommend anyone do this or it doesn't seem like something that uh will be talked about in public but would a pitcher who's been bouncing back between the majors and the minors willingly use a foreign substance knowing that he'll get major league pay for 10 days if he gets suspended I don't know if that's something they might have they might have thought of that when they were coming up with the rules. Will we actually see that? I don't know because if someone were to find out that that was the motive, um, you're probably getting designated for assignment as no, soon as yeah, possible. Not probably. Um, but would somebody try to get away with that? It's possible. I mean, um, even the uh, the base salary of five hundred sixty three thousand prorated um, over that over that time period. It's still $31,000 that the player would get versus maybe $800 in AAA, depending on how uh, how experienced the pitcher is. Um, so it is something that we could that we could see. Um, I mean, it, w- it would be it would be quite the uh, quite the event if we saw that. Um, but what are first of all, what are your thoughts on the foreign substance checks? Do you like them? Do you think that it should be only subject to the manager who has to uh, has to request that the pitcher is checked? Um, or do you think it could be enforced in a better way? What What are your thoughts initially? First off, I don't know if it's necessary to, to implement this rule. I also don't understand the reasoning behind implementing this rule mid-year. I think this is something that should have been done over the offseason. I think it's unfair to give the pitchers such short notice because the reality is, and anyone who plays the game knows that, you know, it's a, it's a common thing to use some form of this sticky substance or foreign substance for pitchers. So to just one day, you know, maybe they heard about it a week Gave them a week to, to figure out what they were going to do, I, I think is unfair for the pitcher. So first and foremost, I think it should have been done over the offseason if they were all of a sudden going to flip a switch and, and start trying to enforce this. Um, but as far as how could it be enforced better, um, I think it could just you could just have more random spot checks. I don't know if the, how MLB would decide that. I'm not sure it necessarily makes sense to have managers decide when. I think if anything, it might just make more sense to have an umpire I don't know, do a random spot check, which may come with speculation as to when they would decide to do that. Well, and that's what some of the controversy was because uh, they are checking starting pitchers usually at least twice during their starts. Relief pitchers, they'll almost always check them after they leave the game. But we did see Girardi request the umpires to check Scherzer during a game, during the inning. And that was after he'd already been checked twice. That created some controversy. I think Girardi got thrown out of the game. Um, since he was upset with Scherzer and likewise in the opposite direction. So it is kind of a messy situation. Um, and I am, I am, I would say I am glad that they are trying to phase it out of the game because although it's been done for years and years, I don't think it's good for the game, especially at this point where uh, we're seeing breaking balls that are kind of out of hand, the high spin fastballs. I think that's even kind of lending to the boring game we have today. It doesn't really increase velocity. But when you've got a fastball that rides up in the zone, there are a lot more swings and misses on it. Um, and that's what really is going to benefit. Those and the low breaking balls are going to be the two main benefits of using a foreign sticky substance. And it kind of takes a little bit of the uh, a little bit of the appeal of sinker slider guys off where you might see a little bit more action. I think we could see more of a return to sinker slider guys um, where those are maybe, especially the sinker, a little bit lower 
um, a lower spin pitch uh, if you're following with with where that is uh, sticky substances increase spin on a pitch so that's why the higher four seam fastball spin rate the better and the more swings and misses you'll get but usually the higher spin two seam or sinker you'll get uh, you'll get less drop and that is kind of defeating the purpose of using the substance then no bias at all on the uh, on the sinker slider guy says the uh, left-handed pitcher who specializes in throwing sinkers certainly so uh, no bias for you on that one but I don't know it'll be interesting to see what continues to happen like I said I'm not a fan of them doing this mid-season um I, I would have just preferred them you know I'm not necessarily against them enforcing this um but I think that going one way or the other they needed to do what, what the current situation was with it being used and everyone knowing that it was being used but still technically illegal and Michael Pineda gets randomly tossed every time because he doesn't know how to hide it uh, I don't think that was what was best for the game. So it is what it is at this point, I guess, and pitchers just have to try to figure it out. So we talked about how good a week the Brewers have had, and we somehow missed Willie Adames, who had a couple of big hits this week and has continued to exceed expectations since the trade over from Tampa Bay. Entering Sunday, Adames with the 286-351-501 uh, split with 133, uh, excuse me, a 133 OPS+. Plus certainly exceeding expectations and really providing a spark for the Brewers who were really in need of it at the time. Uh, what more can we say about Willie Adames, who's just been exceptional? Uh, yeah, he's been exceptional on the field. His defense has been really good, too. He's made all the plays he needs to. Uh, his metrics have been good, and he passes the eye test, both um, on the defensive side of things. But his bat has really come around. He's provided the spark that the Brewers really needed in the clubhouse at the time. Uh, so that was huge. Uh, for the Brewers to get that out of Adamas. And without giving up, uh, I would say, a huge pieces. They traded J.P. Fireisen. They traded Drew Rasmussen. Both could be big arms in the future. I think it's more likely that we'll see Fireisen settle in in a kind of a, just a middle reliever role. Maybe like a Brad Boxberger type in the long run. Uh, and then Drew Rasmussen, maybe as a kind of a two-inning, two-three-inning guy. Uh, in the middle inning games, a little bit more high leverage situation. But I don't think the Brewers gave up some huge pieces uh, in getting that trade uh, or, or in getting Adamus in that trade. Fire Eisen, though, um, I have my sources. I know that he was a, a heavy user of some foreign substances, and he had the most ride on his four-seam fastball of any pitcher in the major leagues, meaning his, his four-seam fastball, while it didn't technically rise, it basically had the illusion of rising, where he would get swings and misses at the top of the zone a lot. Um, and that's partly because of probably the, the volume of the foreign substance that he would use. Now, I'm not saying that he's not a good pitcher, that he can't pitch at the major league level, but that probably elevated his, his performance a little bit. Uh, even just in June compared to May, his spin rate on his fastball is down about 160 RPM, which is still noteworthy. Um, his ride on his fastball dropped by an inch or two, which also is not huge, but it is enough to kind of um, look at how it might affect his performance. He hasn't allowed any runs yet in June. He allowed, I think, one in May after the trade. Uh, but his, his peripherals haven't been as good. Um, the Brewers might have parted ways with J.P. Fireisen at the right time. It's possible that um, he was maybe more dependent on using his, um, his substance more than other pitchers. And this is just speculation, uh, or maybe not just speculation, but kind of educated speculation. 
Um, I'm not not trying to by any means say that JP Fireisen is the only one who was using it or um, that he is somehow like inferior to other pitchers um, now, but the Brewers might have sold on JP Fireisen when his stock was a little bit higher. Um, and and certainly a, uh, a little bit of a hole in the bullpen right now that they're kind of starting to fix now. Uh, but it's I think it's possible that the Brewers did sell at the right time on Fireisen. Yeah, part of that bullpen they fixed by scoring more runs has been part of it. You know, 5 nothing game is a lot easier to put in Hunter Strickland and Miguel Sanchez. But certainly at the time when we traded Fire Eisen and Rasmussen for that matter, of course Fire Eisen was at his peak of his career, um, which has been short-lived with the Brewers overall. But uh, you don't know exactly how that's going to pan out. But both of those Brewers arms more or less near the top of where they have been as far as their baseball careers go. And then Adames and Richards, not so much the case. So... I think that's probably what the Brewers saw in an opportunity. Whether they necessarily thought that Fire Eisen or Rasmussen were going to drop off, who knows. But certainly it's been a win in the short term. And if Adam Mason Richards can continue this performance this year then uh, and continue that, and then even if Fire Eisen and Rasmussen turn out to be good relievers, it was still a win for the Brewers, who got a solid uh, everyday shortstop in Adam Mason. Yeah, and the last question that uh, I kind of want to go over in this episode is about trading for another shortstop. Now, I don't know, would that make sense? We've seen the Brewers do it before where they traded for Moustakis and Scope in the same deadline. Scope, by the way, is having a good year. I saw him listed as a possible trade candidate for the Brewers. I don't know if we want to see Jonathan Scope in a Brewers uniform anymore. Uh, No offense to him, but just didn't work out last time. I think Brewer fans were a little bit traumatized by the Jonathan Scope experience. But um, we're going to look at another shortstop. And that shortstop is Trevor Story, Rockies superstar, and definitely going to be traded this deadline if the Rockies have any sense of rationality, which they don't. Yeah, I don't know if they do. They do have a, an interim GM in Bill Schmidt who um, is, has kind of admitted that that he will be traded. Even Bud Black, the, the Rockies manager, said that he's had to have conversations with Story about um, potential scenarios of, of him being traded so um, could the Brewers be a landing spot for Trevor Story uh, first of all how would the defensive alignment uh, fit in that Adames has been playing really well at shortstop Adames has said before though I think especially with the Rays but even um, in his time with the Brewers that he's willing to play wherever I think he could play a pretty good third base if they do want him to do that he would fit in nice, especially when Shaw comes back. They're able to m- maybe mostly play Adamus at third with a little bit of Shaw mixed in there. Um, and then have Story play short. He's a pretty good defensive shortstop, excellent bat. Um, could he be a fit there and would it make sense? What are your thoughts? I think as far as could he be a fit, absolutely could be a fit. Of course, anytime you can get a bat like Story, you, you could find a way to, for him to fit. But with the Brewers, I think he fits really well. Certainly pre-Adame's trade, it was a glaring hole that the Brewers had in their infield. It's since been shored up to some degree, but like you said, whether Adame's is at third or story, um, mixing in with Travis Shaw and then Shaw also mixing in with at first base, because of course the Brewers do acquire story, that's probably going to be their primary or only acquisition at the deadline. And so if we see something like that, then the Brewers don't probably upgrade at first base. But on the other hand, you also have Travis Shaw who can then play some first base, hopefully Keston Hira. Wouldn't be necessarily a bad split to uh, have a Story at short, Adames and Shaw at third, and then Shaw getting some time at first base with Keston Hira, possibly bubble back. Hopefully Colton Wong can stay healthy late in the season, and hopefully when the Brewers are in the playoffs as well. 
I think that's a huge upgrade for the Brewers infield. And frankly, if the Brewers want to compete for a World Series, I think it, it's a piece that the Brewers likely will need. Yeah, I think a big question mark around that is Story is a rental. He's got $18.5 million on his contract uh, for this whole 2021 season. So if they do acquire him in July, the Brewers on the hook for about $7 million of that. Uh, would the Brewers be able to pay that? Uh, it's, it is a question. Uh, we're coming off now a shortened season and one where they didn't have any ticket revenues. At the same time, though, they were preparing for uh, potentially a, a later start to full capacity. So hopefully the Brewers are able to uh, maybe find the money to get a guy like Trevor Story. I think that would be a huge addition. And could they extend him? It's possible, but I wouldn't bank on it. Um, we we could see it, that happen, but I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that. Kind of like a CC Sabathia situation. So far this year, Story's hitting 254. He slugged 446. Good defense at the shortstop position. 1.4 wins above replacement. Uh, which is about a, a three-war pace, but he has put up better years over his career, and I wouldn't be surprised if the trade speculation is maybe causing him to perform a little bit worse. Also, just being on a bad Rockies team can't help uh, with his performance. So having nobody around him in the lineup, I would guess, is hurting him. But plugging him in a Brewers lineup where there are great pieces around him, think about a lineup where you have maybe Wong at the top, Yelich 2, Story 3, Narvaez 4 with the way he's hit this year. Uh, you've still got someone like Hura or Vogelback after he comes back. Um, you've got Kane, you've got Garcia or Bradley, um, Adames there. It's a deep That's lineup. Very it's deep. deep. Yeah. Um, but the big question is what would be the asking price for Trevor Story? Uh, there was a big article on this on The Athletic. Uh, Will Salmon talked about it, the Brewers writer there, as well as the Rockies beat writer. The trade that was proposed that the Rockies writer said he'd accept and the Brewers writer, both Will Salmon and the Rockies writer accepted, was Ethan Small, Corey Ray, and a speedster named David Hamilton, who's stolen 28 bags in, in low A ball so far in 38 games. Um, he's an excellent base runner. Uh, so would the Brewers be willing to, to part with those three players? I would say first, would you be willing to, to part with those three guys for a Trevor Story rental? That's a tough one. I, I think that... If that's the Rockies' asking price, knowing the Brewers and David Stearns, I'm not sure they would be willing to give that up. I mean, you never know with prospects. We've talked about this before. Sometimes it's easy to overhype prospects. I mean, we saw Orlando Arcia. We talked about, you know, should the Brewers make the trade when he was a top prospect. And the expectation was that he was going to be, you know, the next coming. Obviously, he was not. Um, so certainly that can happen with guys. And Ethan Small, you know, we don't know exactly what to expect. Corey Ray has been, of course, disappointing overall. I'm not sure I'd be willing to part with that, given that we'd also be out $7 million and it's a rental. I don't know. Um, do the Brewers have a legitimate chance at winning World Series without Trevor Story? Probably not. When you talk about going potentially going through the Padres and the Dodgers and potentially the Mets or whoever comes out of the East, I'm not sure the Brewers have great chances to, to make it out with Story. So I think it's weighing the odds of what what's better for the Brewers franchise not only this year and the next couple of years because I do think the Brewers have a chance to continue to compete at a high level in the next couple of years uh, so you have to weigh the options on that so I think that's a steep asking price and I'm not sure I'd be willing to give that up given seven million what are your thoughts I mean I would be hesitant to especially because small is a, a good pitching prospect the Brewers have been so good at developing pitching do you have another I'm not saying an ace level pitcher but 
Um, a very good pitcher. He's got a good fastball changeup combination, uh, which will play as a starter, especially with even just an average breaking ball that he's kind of developing. Uh, yeah. I think it's possible, and that's what kind of makes me second guess what the trade is. What about another scenario that I was thinking about? Would you trade Luis Urias straight up for Trevor Story? Urias has, I think, four years left of team control after this year. A little bit more affordable. Of course, he's not he's not Trevor Story, but he's got more control. He's got a lot of upside. A pretty good defensive middle infielder. Brewers have him for a few more years. Would you give up Urias for Trevor Story straight up? That would be a really interesting trade. Uh, we don't see straight up one-for-one one trades for two major league players. So that would certainly be really intriguing. Um, that's a really tough call. I think if you look at how Adames has played, and I'm going to go on the assumption that not necessarily he continues at the same rate, but that he continues to play well, I think I'd probably entertain that. I might like that trade more because I think that Small has the potential for more upside than Urias. Because like you said, I'm not saying Small is going to be an ace, but even if you say Ethan Small is going to be a, a good four starter, the value of a good four starter, young controllable talent, I mean, that's significant value to give up for half a year of Trevor Story at a pretty steep price. So I, I personally, I'd probably rather part with Urias than that trio of prospects that you brought up before. Yeah, it would be interesting. I really like Urias. I don't think I would be willing to make that trade, uh, but I guess that's why Stearns and, and Matt Arnold are paid because they're... Uh, the ones that have to make those decisions. That would be a really tough pill to swallow, especially if Urias does kind of realize his full potential as a former top prospect. And he's really kind of getting into his own at the plate now. Uh, his average has been up. He's really showing off some good power, taking a lot of walks. He's been very good and, and kind of shown that he could be an everyday third baseman for the Brewers. Yeah, and for that reason, I think the Brewers would be very hesitant to make that trade to talk about a trade that goes south and then south again if the Brewers made that trade after giving up Grisham and Davies um, getting Urias and then shipping him away and him turning into a pretty solid player that certainly would sting um, so I don't know I, I think given that given what Stearns and the Brewers front office have done I don't see them making that trade um, because they tend to be a little bit higher on uh, those current average or current major league players as opposed to prospects because again Yes, Small has more upside, but Urias is already um, a starting position player in the major leagues. So, interesting thoughts to weigh in. We'll continue to keep talking about it as we approach the deadline. Uh, and Trevor Story, you know, could be a fit in Milwaukee. So, as we wrap up today, Brewers have a, a pretty interesting schedule up ahead. So, as we wrap up today, Brewers starting up a three-game series against the Cubs, looking to distance themselves further. They're up three games against the Cubs uh, putting them in a good spot in the Central, up three against the Cubs, six on the Reds, and eight against the St. Louis Cardinals, who, of course, uh, were the favorites in the division by some. So Brewers building a lead, and hopefully they're able to extend that uh, against the Cubs. And then following up our favorite competition, the Pittsburgh Pirates, seems like we've been playing them a lot lately. Uh, but good for the good for the, good for the soul, I guess. Good for the standings, <laughs> and good for the soul uh, as well. Always good to play against the Pirates. Hopefully the Brewers are able to get all three games in without a, a rain delay. It seems like the biggest competition in Pittsburgh is usually against the rain more than it is against the actual Pirates. Uh, so hopefully able to do that and have a good series against the Cubs. Cubs coming off a, a pretty bad series against the Dodgers. Assuming they lose tonight on Sunday as we record this, I think a, a series sweep or at least lost their last three. Uh, not playing well, so... 
certainly good to see as a Brewer fan, especially heading into a series against the Cubs. Full capacity back just in time for probably a lot of Cubs fans to come into Miller Park. And I believe Brewers with their top three pitchers in that series as well, if I'm remembering correctly, with Lauer pitching today. That is, I think that is correct. Um, so hopefully the Brewers are able to sweep. I'm uh, I'm not 100% sure on the probables, but I, I think that is correct. Uh, but before we go, we're going to talk about the trivia question again today. Revisit that. See if you guys are able to get that. What is the highest number of All-Stars the Brewers have had in one season? And they did that twice. Um, it was pretty recently. So what is your guess on that one, Peter? Uh, my guess is going to be six. I, I know I can think back to, I believe, a year with Jesus Aguilar, Josh Hader, Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, Corey Knebel, and Jeremy Jeffress all donning the Brewers All-Star Game jersey that year. That is incorrect. You actually are mixing up that year with 2017 Knebel when he was the lone All-Star on that team. It was five. In 2019 and 18, both they did it actually. 2019 most recently, Yelich, Grindal, Mustakis, Hayter, and Woodruff. Um, and then in 18, Yelich and Hayter as well, in addition to Kane, Aguilar, and Jeffress. So kind of mixing up the two. Uh, and it's interesting that the last two All-Star games, the Brewers have had five. Had never done that previously, only um, four a couple of times in the 80s and, and in 2007 also, kind of randomly, um, when they had, I think, Hardy, Hardy oh, yeah. uh, Fielder, Franc I don't think Weeks was, but oh. Francisco Cordero was there. And uh, who was the last one? I, I have the page pulled up. Might as well go look. Ben Sheets, that's right. How, how could we forget Ben Sheets? Um, so Brewers having five All-Stars. Um, 2019 and 18. It's possible they do that. Woodruff, Peralta, Burns. Will all three make it? I don't know. I think Burns actually might not make it, or he might be on the outside looking in more so than Peralta and Woodruff now. Woodruff, I think, is almost a lock. Hater will make it, I think, as a closer. Um, and then we could see Narvaez. We could see five again. Uh, and before we wrap up, just wanted to, uh, to note one last thing. Uh, the, the Diamondbacks won a road game. Uh, breaking news. They had lost 24 straight road games dating back to, I think it was April 25th. And then on June 26th, they won. And of course, it was a, a nine-run victory in San Diego of all, of all games for them to win. Uh, they win by nine against a very good Padres team. Uh, the Brewers were, uh, were included in that, that, uh, that onslaught of the Diamondbacks. They swept them when the Brewers were at home and then won two out of three against them in Arizona. But actually, Colorado has a worse road record than the Diamondbacks, who have only won one road game over their last two months. Um, the Rockies actually sitting at 6-31 and on the road, uh, while the D-backs are 10-33. and Rockies nine games above 500 at home. Rockies usually have the most extreme home road splits just because of the, the strange conditions at Coors Field, uh, but even more extreme this year. Brewers were able to uh, beat up on them at home, uh, or in this case for the Rockies on the road, and split with them at home. Uh, so kind of interesting, kind of playing into that as well. But Brewers playing those two teams over the past week, just thought it was kind of an interesting stat that uh, especially given the Diamondbacks having not won a road game since April 25th or, or late April um, for that. Uh, well, that's going to do it for our episode today. Uh, be sure to check us out uh, at Brewers Podcast on Twitter. Um, we'd appreciate if you'd rate or review our podcast. Um, that goes a long ways as far as getting our podcast out there or even supporting us financially. Uh, there's a link to do that down below. Uh, but thanks for listening. We really appreciate your listenership and your support of our podcast. We enjoy doing it, and we hope you enjoy listening. 
Thanks again. As always, go Brewers, but also go Bucks. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.